0: Christmas. Let's open in prayer. Father, I just thank you again for the joy that we have in you. Just bless the sermon as we look at the significance of the gifts that were given to you and what they mean, Lord. We just thank you for everything in your name. Amen. So Christmas is almost here. As I said, a couple of weeks during the children's program, it just seems to be such a special and joyous time, does it? Now you can be crutchety, and but I mean just going through everything's lit up. The trees are lit up. Christmas carols, even in the secular places, Christmas carols are going on. And it's just a great time, and uh, I really love uh, having it in here that in the morning I get up early and it's dark, and I love it. I put the Christmas tree lights on, and then I. Say my prayers at the couch, and I get a waft of the Christmas tree, and it just makes it kind of special. It's really just a beautiful time of year, you know, instead of putting on the illuminescent light and having the whole room's bright. But it's just a special time that we celebrate this time of year, yes? Ah, bah, humbug. Man, wow. There are so many aspects of the season that are just so special to this time of year. People just seem to be a little more cordial and friendly, unless you're on Merrick Road at four o'clock the day before the holiday. Savages, but. And then there are some aspects of the Christmas season that can also be a little challenging like trying to find the perfect gift for your loved ones. Thank God for my wife, that she knows what the kids like, because dads were oblivious until you scroll through your AOL and go, order from this, shipment from that, order from here. It's like, I guess you knew what they wanted. But uh, yeah, thank God. And after 35 years of being married, I kind of know what my wife likes, you know, her taste and everything. So there are certain things. And uh, once in a while, you know, the guy comes out where like a few years ago, ugh, we got the flannel camo jammies. You know what I mean? Don't really help with the hot flashes, but I really like the, you know, but they're, they're useful. You know, all right, with that said, the idea behind what I'm trying to say is that you really want to try to find the perfect gift, appropriate gift for the person you're giving the gift to, don't you? I mean, like, let's be honest. If someone came to me and gave me a certificate for a Manny Petty, it would be the most inappropriate gift in the world. Because growing up, if someone, I said to some of my friends growing up, oh, well, I'm going for a manny petty, you would find me on a street light, duct tape there naked, you know what I mean? That's, that's what they would have done. So in this day and age, things have changed. I'm not saying there's anything wrong, guys, if you go out and get a manny petty. but growing up, wasn't a gift that I would... wouldn't be appropriate, all right? So again, we uh, should be aware of the likes and dislikes or the needs of the people we're giving gifts to and, the per- and their personal personality. You kind of want it, you know, like getting Chris some um, new arrows for his bow. That'd be a good thing. Or getting the uh, deer murderer some shells for his rifle. That would be appropriate, you know what I mean? So what I'd like to do now is turn my attention to some men who were also bringing some gifts to a child in a small town called Bethlehem in the area of Judea. And What I'd like to do is give you some background on these guys first to understand why would these wise men travel so far to bring gifts to some child in Bethlehem? Was it just a star? And so with that said, please open up to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 1 and 2, and I believe the scriptures are going up there. I am going to inundate you with scriptures this morning. Poor Michelle has to transfer them from English to Spanish, so praise the Lord. All right, so we're going to start at Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now jump to verses 9 to 12. What we're going to do this morning is begin with a quick mini-study of who, just who were these wise men, who were these magi, and why did they bring such appropriate gifts to this child in Bethlehem. And then, uh, so with that said, let's look at who these magi are. Who are these wise men from the east? Well, we know from history that these magi or wise men are actually from a group of Parthians, all right, and they were people that lived east of Palestine. And the magi first appear in history in uh, the 7th century B.C., as part of the Medes and uh, empires of Mesopotamia. Many many historians also believe that they were Semites also and would be related to the Jews and Arabs in that area. And they also, if you continue to look at this class of people, they were also believed in one God. So they would have believed in a sovereign God over heaven and earth. Now the name Magi soon came associated solely with the hereditary priesthood of their tribe. These magi became skilled in astronomy and astrology, so they would have been very intent on any kind of astronomical phenomenon that they had seen, and they would have been curious about it. All right? So, um, and it's interesting that these magi, again, believed in a monotheistic God. These wise men also had to combine, listen, knowledge of science, agriculture, math. Um, Religion and and they had a political influence that would grow until they became the most prominent advisors over the Babylonian Empire and the Medo-Persian Empire. Now, with all this background to come to this, it is these wise men who are going to come into contact with Judaism and the beliefs of Judaism. And they will be influenced by the prophecies and things that they hear and learn under such people like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and so on. Now, let me back up some, uh, what I'm saying here. If we were to look at Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, we know that King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and he calls in all these magi, these wise men and advisors, and says, I want you to interpret a dream. So the guy's like, all right, boss, tell us the dream and we'll interpret it. He goes, no, I'm not even telling you the dream. I want you to interpret it. And these guys are like, boss, that's impossible. Nobody can do that. Only God can do that. So he sends out a decree that all the wise men should be annihilated. Now, when Nebuchadnezzar sends out that decree, you know what's going to happen. He was a a maniac, all right? So all of a sudden, Daniel asks if he can have a couple of days to pray, and lo and behold, God gives him the interpretation. He goes to Nebuchadnezzar, he interprets the dream, and listen to what happens in Daniel chapter 2, verses 46 to 48. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that all an offering and incense be presented to him. Then the king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him rule over the entire province of Babylon and placed in charge of him all the wise men. Now, isn't it interesting now? All wise men must overcome the authority of Daniel, the faithful Hebrew. Do you know who Daniel's going to tell them about? The God of Judaism, all right? And explain to them who the Jehovah God is. Now, a little summary of uh, Daniel chapter three. We know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They uh, won't bow down to the king's idol. They get thrown into a fiery furnace. The king pops up and looks and goes, oh my Lord, there's one like the son of God that's walking around in the fire. He pulls them out. And listen to what it says in verse 28 to 30 in Daniel chapter 3. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses turned into piles of rubber. For no other God can save in this way. So here we see these three young Jewish men lifted to a place of prominence and King Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges the God of the Hebrews. And twice in chapter four, Nebuchadnezzar will make reference to God and his eternal kingdom. And finally, we have the story of Daniel in um, chapter six. Well, what happens? Daniel, because of his faith, praying, is thrown into the lion's den, yes. And then the lions don't go near him. The king pulls him out. And listen to what it says in Daniel six twenty-five and 26. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and the peoples of every language in all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he's the living God and endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs wonders and signs in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Family, Daniel, a faithful Hebrew servant is placed in prominence in the kingdom, placed over all the wise men, And the God of Abraham is to be reverenced and feared. And what I'm getting at is these wise men will come into the knowledge of Daniel's God, the God of Abraham. They will understand the prophetic messages that are in the word of God, as Daniel shares them with him, yes? And so the quest... They go and look as a group. The Magi go and they follow this astronomical phenomenon based on their background as astronomers and understanding astrology and, and the stars. And with the prophecies of the Old Testament that they've become familiar with, they make their quest to go to Bethlehem and follow that star. So their quest was not based on happenstance, but by the drawing of God. Do you see that? Over the ages that God perfectly set all this up, the sovereign hand of God, that Daniel and his young men would end up in Babylon, that they would come to a place of prominence and teach the wise men, the magi, the things of Abraham and the, and the scriptures, so that it was these same men who will then follow that star with the knowledge they have and go to the town of Bethlehem and present the king with the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Amen? And when they go there, what do they say? Where is the one who has been born? king of the Jews and I threw something in here as I was writing this down how about us Here the, we the church have been exposed to the prophecies of Christ's second coming have we not are we studying those scriptures are we becoming familiar with those scriptures are we excited about those scriptures and are we looking at the signs of the times to be the prepared bride for when our bridegroom comes to the clouds to take us home these men knew the scriptures. These men saw the sign, and they went. Are we preparing? Are we ready to go on that second coming to be with our Lord Jesus forever? And that was just an aside. As God laid that on my heart, I was going through this saying, oh, my goodness, this is so relevant for today that we as church, we're walking around the church, not this church, but the church, kind of lackadaisical. And he says, look at the signs of the times. He's coming back, are we prepared? So that's just an aside to think about. So let's get back to our Magi. When their search is fulfilled and they behold the child, they present him with some very significant gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And they weren't just happenstance. that They picked these three gifts. They're very significant in their meaning. So let's begin with the frankincense or the incense and examine what this gift means. And really what it's going to do is point to two aspects of Jesus' life and ministry. The frank, frankincense was a costly and beautiful smelling incense, often called the incense of deity. In the Old Testament, it was actually stored right outside the temple. And anytime time an offering was given, they would burn the fragrant incense, okay, as an offering to God. Listen to Exodus 30, 34 to 37. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Take fragrant spices, gum, resin, anica, and galbanum, and pure frankincense, all in equal amounts, and make a fragrant blend of incense, the work of a perfumer. It is to be salted and pure and sacred. Grind some of it to powder and place it in front of the Ark of the Covenant in the tent of meeting where I'll meet with you. It shall be most holy to you. Do not make any incense with this formula for yourselves. Consider it holy to the Lord. So this combination of incense was only... To be presented before the Lord. It was not to be used to perfume ourselves. It was only to be offered to God. Now, if you look back to verse 7 and 8 of that script of Exodus 30, it says Aaron must burn the fragrant incense on the altar every morning as he tends the lamps. He must burn incense again when he lights the lamps to twilight. So incense will burn regularly before for generations to come. So we see a couple of things here. It's an incense that's only supposed to be presented to the Lord. And notice who's presenting it, Aaron the the priest. So it's only supposed to be presented by a priest. So in presenting the frankincense to Jesus, in essence, what the magi are saying is that this child is in fact God. This child is Emmanuel, God with us because the only one that frankincense, incense was supposed to be presented to was God Almighty. So they are recognizing his deity and giving him the frankincense. Amen? All right. And it really is the fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we will call him what? Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us. Amen? This family is the Jesus these Magi bow down to, God with us. And so they present them with the frankincense, the fragrant offering that is only supposed to be presented to God. And as we know and believe that this Jesus is none other than the second person of the Godhead who has come in the flesh for one very important reason, and that is to go to the cross of Calvary. I will say it and say it, that behind the cradle we must see the cross. Amen that he came to be the savior of our sins. Now, and listen to Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. It says, In the past God spoke to us, through our ancestors, through the prophets, and at many times and in various ways. But in last days he has spoke to us through his son. Ready? The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. That child was the God-man, the exact representation in all his attributes of the heavenly father. Who had come in the flesh to save us from our sins. And there comes a time when the Jews want to stone him, because Jesus says this in John 10, 30. He says, I and the Father are one. And when the people around him saw this, he was saying he's God. They wanted to stone him. But the problem is, he in fact is God. He is God, was God, is God, and always will be God. But this is the God coming in the flesh. So when they bring this frankincense, they're saying, we know that you are Emmanuel, that you are God with us. And they presented with the frankincense. But church, there's a second meeting of this gift. Very important. It gives us insight into Jesus' earthly ministry. Listen carefully. In the Old Testament, in the Jewish hierarchy, only the priest could present the fragrant offering, the frankincense. Do you hear me? So when the wise men offer the incense to Jesus, they're not only recognizing his deity, but they're also recognizing him as the priest. The high priest of God, the one who can... And truly enter the true holy of holies. Not just the tabernacle or the temple, but the true holy of holies. He's the priest of God. Now remember what we read in Exodus 30, verse 7. It was the priest who was the one to present the incense. And if we went through various portions of Scripture, we'd always see that it was the priest offering the incense. The priest offering the incense before an offering. And the best example really comes on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. So I'm going to ask you to join me in Leviticus 16, verses 12 to 22 one of the greatest types of what the work of Christ, I believe the greatest type in the Old Testament is the Passover. but look what it says he Aaron the priest, is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. He used to put the incense on the fire before the Lord, and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the tablets of the covenant law so that they will not die. He used to take some of the bull's blood and with his finger sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. Then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take the blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way, he'll make atonement For the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is due the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Then he shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and consecrate it from uncleanness of the Israelites. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed to the task, the goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it in the wilderness. So what do we see here? Two goats. One is going to be slaughtered for the sins of the people, to make atonement for the people. The other goat, they're gonna lay their hands on as if it were their sins, and they're gonna take this, the scapegoat out to the wilderness and release it so that their sins will be no more. This absolutely points to the ministry of Jesus Christ, that he will be the one who's going to come and offer, make the offering, if you will. And we'll see that it's his blood that is going to be shed for the forgiveness of sins. But not only in that, for those who now enter the Holy of Holies, enter into Christ, what? Our sins will be as far as the East is from the West. So it is a perfect type, the Day of Atonement, pointing to the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. So listen, when the Magi present this gift to Jesus, they're not only proclaiming his deity, but they are proclaiming that he is the priest of God. But the offering he's going to give is not a bull or a goat. The offering he's going to give is himself. So not only is he the priest, but he's also the offering that is going to come for the forgiveness of sins. Listen to Hebrews 2.17. It says this, For this reason he had to be like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. So do we understand the significance of this frankincense? It's pointing to that Jesus is God, the Emmanuel. Also pointing to the fact that he is God's high priest, but the offering is going to be himself. The only true offering that will appease The Lord God, the Father, for the forgiveness of sins. All the blood of bulls and goats pointed to the fact that the Savior would come, the Messiah would come. And those folks back then that believed that this was the covering of their sin, but were looking forward to that Messiah by faith, found faith in God and will be with the Lord for eternity. Amen? With those who today look back at the cross by faith and will be saved. So now this actually leads us into the second gift, the myrrh. And what is the significance of the myrrh? The myrrh was a perfume that was mixed and was put on the body of someone who was deceased to prepare it for burial, all right? So um, even in one, what was one of the scriptures where there's a woman and she pours out the perfume, the myrrh, on Jesus, and I said, what are you doing? We could sell that and give it to the poor. And Jesus said, she's preparing me for my burial. It's the myrrh that they'd be wrapped in. Listen to John nineteen thirty-eight to 40. It speaks of Joseph of Arimathea, asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Jesus was a, uh, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who early had visited Jesus at night. Ready? Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, taking Jesus' body. They were preparing it to put it in the tomb. So we see that they're going to take this myrrh and prepare the body, yes? So, family, when these wise men come, what they are saying is we're bringing this myrrh because we know that this God, this God child, this high priest of God, the one who's going to offer himself is going to die. And he's going to be wrapped in this myrrh to prepare him for his burial. So it's pointing, the myrrh is a gift that is pointing to the death that Jesus is going to take for all of us. So that's why he brings, uh, the wise men bring the myrrh. Amen. So, family, the wise men present the myrrh again to say and show that Jesus was going to go to his death. What does it say in John chapter 1, verse 29? When John the Baptist is baptizing, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Jewish people knew exactly what John was saying, that he was going to be the sacrifice for sins, because that's what they used the Lamb for in those days, for a sacrifice. And if you will, please turn with me to Luke 2, 25-35, a wonderful Christmas reading. Again, a lot of scripture this morning. As my pastor say, the best commentary on God's word is God's word. And this is a, really what I want to do. It's, it's actually the last line of this reading, but it's a beautiful Christmas reading, Luke two twenty All right, it says, Now there was a, a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was a righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Spirit, that he would not die before he'd seen the lord's messiah moved by the spirit he went into the temple courts when the parents joseph and mary brought the child jesus to do for him what was custom of the law required simeon took him in his arms and he praised god saying sovereign lord as you have promised you may now dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations A light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled that was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to, to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. Ready? So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. What was he speaking to? This is the Christ child. This is the Messiah, the one that's going to be a light to the Gentiles and the glory of Israel, right? But he says to Mary, a sword's going to pierce your soul. And only, I think, the moms here can understand if they could look upon their oldest son hung on that cross, beaten to a pulp, pierced by Roman nails, mocked and ridiculed that that sword that must have pierced her soul to see Jesus like that. Come on, ladies. Think about that being your child. Guys. Us too, but even mothers bore. It's a whole different relationship. And in Isaiah 53, 3-6, it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. And many times we quote this, but he was pierced. For our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds, we were healed. He went to the cross of Calvary. That's what the mirror is talking to. That's what the gift presented to him is talking to, that this Christ child was going to die, a very specific death to save us. And we could go to Philippians 2, 6 to 8, one of my favorite verses, right, that says he came, he humbled himself as a man, why? To go to the cross of Calvary to die for us. That's why he came, church. Amen? And 2 Corinthians 5.21 really sums it up. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So he came for one reason, to die. And if we were to go and do what I call the Emmaus Road, when Jesus is walking with the two disciples, and he must have started right at Genesis 3.15, that famous proto-evangelion, the first Confirmation of the gospel and went through all the sayings and writings of Moses and the prophets to show exactly what was going to happen that the Christ was to come, he was to suffer all these things, go to the cross of Calvary for the salvation of sins. He must have walked them right through it. And they go, Weren't our hearts burning within us? I feel like saying, Then why didn't you recognize them, dudes? Right? But yeah, so he takes them through the Emmaus Road. So, family, again, when the Magi come with the mirror, they are proclaiming that the child they see before them will go through a very specific death to save us from our sin. Now, let's finish up with the last gift this morning. The gold, gold. Everybody loves gold, right? Most people. Throughout history, it's been considered one of the most precious metals. And what they do? When kings were crowned, it was made of gold. Tiaras. Were made out of gold if you walked into the palaces what did solomon do line the palace with gold even the temple was lined with gold that's why when the romans came in they knocked down every stone thinking that there was gold between where they filled the the stones of the temple so every place was adorned with gold to show what nobility and royalty so when the wise men come and offer this gift what are they doing They're bringing gold to the one who they say has been born king of the Jews. They are presenting the gift of gold to who they believe is the king of kings and lord of lords. Amen? So they give this gold and proclaim Jesus as king. Family, Jesus is the king. He's the king of kings. Amen? And look what scriptures have to say about this. If we were to start in Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Listen, a lot of scripture here, so stay with me. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's household. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. If we were to go to Galatians 3, and it talks about the seed of Abraham, well, it's not saying seeds, it's meaning seed that one person will come from the lineage of Abraham that will be a blessing to the whole world. You know who that's pointed to? The king of kings and lord of lords. And if we were to go through scripture and look at Genesis 49, 8 to 10, when um, Jacob is blessing his children, he goes through the different blessings to Simeon, to Levi, right? And he gets to Judah and he says, and from you, Judah, will come the one whose scepter will never depart from his hand. So he's passing this blessing down now to Judah that the king is going to come from your lineage. So it starts with Abraham, goes to Judah, and then if we would go into 2 Samuel 7, we'd see that when he's talking to David, and it says, David, I'm going to bless you that someone from your line will sit on the throne forever. So we know that this person is from seed of Abraham, the tribe of Judah, and the house of David, okay? So if we look at this also, in Micah 5, 2, what does it say? But you, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come one from me who will rule over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And then that prophecy from Isaiah seven fourteen that the virgin will give birth to a child and we'll call him Emmanuel. Well, listen, Jesus Christ. Look at his lineage in Luke and in Matthew. He is the seed of Abraham. He is from the tribe of Judah, his lineage. He's from the house of David. And if we look, Mary's um, he comes from Mary's lineage so that the bloodline, she's also from the, those same lineages, Abraham, Judah, and David, and so is Joseph. So look, we see Mary's lineage that gives him the bloodline that he is from That lineage, but if we look at Joseph, he's a descendant of Solomon, so he has a right to the kingship. So his scriptures are perfectly fulfilled that Jesus is from those bloodlines and he has a right, a right to the kingship. Amen? Boy, stoking the fire this morning, a little Bible history. And what we see here is is this is the guy. Jesus is the guy. He's God, he's man. He's from the right lineage, and he has a right to be the king of Israel. Amen? And that's why the Magi come and say, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? And although we celebrate this first Advent, Christmas, we really have to look at the bigger picture, and that Jesus came the first time to save us from our sins, to be the propitiation for our sins, as Larry read this morning, that he would go to the cross of Calvary, take our sins upon him, and make the way for whosoever would believe to have eternal life. It don't stop there, because he's coming back. And he's coming back as the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's not going to be the child in the manger. He's not going to be the beaten body on the cross. He's going to be the glorified, resurrected Jesus the Christ that is going to come back. Read Revelation 1. Hair white as wool, eyes like blazing fire. It's going to be the all-powerful Christ that comes back in the second advent, if you will. And turn with me to Revelation. I want to run through a few Revelation scriptures. And again, a lot of scripture today, but it, it's, it really points to what we're talking about. Revelation 1, 12 to 17. It says, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. Ready? The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. Eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. Whoa. So all those pictures we see, whether it be, what is it, the uh, Passion movie, whether it be some of the older movies, Max Van Saito, I think, is one of the great ones, Jesus of Nazareth, the other ones, we can picture them all we want, but there's a great picture who's coming back, the resurrected, all-powerful Lord Jesus Christ. That's who's coming back, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jump to Revelation 5. And look what it says in verse 11 to 14. Then I looked and heard a voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousands. They encircled the throne with the living creatures and elders. In a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. It's pointing to Jesus' work on the cross. Then I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and on the sea, and all is in them, saying to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power, forever and ever. And then the four living creatures said, "Amen," and fell down and worship. There's the King. All of creation will bow before him and worship. It says, every knee shall bow. Every tongue will profess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And all heaven bow down before him. The elders throw their crowns before him and worship him because he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. So this is an aside. If you ever feel fearful, if you are ever worried and ever concerned, just remember that it's that almighty God that holds you in the palm of his hand and intercedes before the Father for us the God who was able to do all and above all things, the sovereign God of all creation, he holds us as his children. No need to worry. Last one, Revelation 19, 11 to 16. Great scripture verse. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes again are like blazing fire. His head are many crowns. His name... He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen. That'll be us. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword, which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress, the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. You ready? And on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. That's who we serve, church. The almighty king. And he's coming back. But he's coming back for a bride that's prepared. So let's be ready. Amen. And let's be about our business so that other people can know him as king of kings and lord of lords and be with him in his eternal kingdom. Family, the Jesus we celebrate at Christmas, the babe in the major, is the son of God who clothed himself in flesh and went to the cross of Calvary to save our soul. And it's the same Jesus who is King of kings and Lord of lords and sits at the Father's right hand with all power and authority. Amen? It's the same Jesus who's coming back to establish his millennial reign in Jerusalem. And it's the same Jesus that the wise men come and bow and give the gold to because they know that he is the king. God's king. Amen? So let's sum up this morning's message. When the wise men magi come and present the child with gold, frankincense, and myrrh, they are presenting him with gifts that are apropos for who he is and what he would accomplish. They are in fact acknowledging that Jesus is the king, he is God, and he is our great high priest who is going to offer himself so that we could have forgiveness of sins. Amen. This is the same Jesus we celebrate this time of year. But With that said, I want to ask you some questions. With all the gifts that you have received in the past or may receive, have you received the one who is the reason for the season? You hear me? And listen, it's not the Jesus we see in the movies. It's not the Jesus that we see even walking through church doors. Have you received him as your Savior and Lord? Amen? Have you really received him into your hearts that you are born again and now in relationship with Christ? And the way you answer this question will determine the reason you really celebrate this time of year. Is it to rejoice over his ministry and our salvation or just to participate in what the world has made Christmas to be? Oh, let's go get a tree. Let's decorate the house. Let's do our shopping. Let's make the meal. But they leave the child out of the manger. They leave the king out of the picture. Make sure the king is in your Christmas this season. Amen? The real reason we celebrate and rejoice. Yes? And I want to follow up with three other questions that will help you answer the first one. Is Jesus your God? Does that relationship with him really drive all the priorities of your life? Or is there another God that is getting in the way? Because anything we put above the Lord becomes an idol or a God. Is there something standing in the way of making him your real God? Who really your priorities are driven by your relationship with him. Amen? Second question. Is Jesus your Savior? Have you believed into his redemptive work for your salvation? Or are you standing on, well, I belong to this denomination, so I must be saved. Well, my parents were saved, so I grew up in a Christian house. Well, I went through sacraments or rituals. No. Time. In the back, on the phones, ladies, I know you're all born, my daughter included, into a Christian household. But is Jesus your Savior? Amen. I'm sorry I embarrassed him, but I had to. All right got to listen. You could have been born into a Christian family, but you have to make the choice to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. You ain't riding nobody's coattails. Ain't nobody going to be hanging on to my robe when I'm going up. It's going to be me and those who have come to faith in Christ. So if you were born into a Christian family, just take it for granted. Don't take it for granted. Your parents are trying to teach you how to have eternal life. Amen? And is Jesus your king? Is he the Lord of your life? Is he Lord over every area of your life? Are you his servant, Dulos, desiring to do his will and living according to the principles of his word? It will show in our life if he is truly our Lord and our Savior. And listen, I have down here, it ain't a Chinese menu. You can't have one from column A, one from column B, or one from column C. He's got to be your God, your Lord, your Savior. You can't have one without the two or two without the three. He's got to be your Lord and Savior. There aren't two camps or three camps. And it will be evident by the fruit that is seen in your life. The priorities of your life, how we live our lives, is seen is that we've truly submitted and made him our king, that he is our God, that he is our Savior. It will drive everything that we do. As we, In Sunday school, we we're talking about Abraham. He went, in Hebrews, it tells us that he looked for a city that wasn't his own. He didn't get his feet planted in this world. Because he was looking for his eternal home, the eternal kingdom. And that should be where we're at. As we mature in our faith, we should look to where we're going. Do the work he has for us here, but our feet shouldn't be planted too, too firmly in this world. Amen? And family, listen carefully. If you answered yes to these questions, then we really have a lot to celebrate during this season. If he is our God, if he is our Lord, if he is our Savior, we can rejoice and be glad like nobody else on the face of this planet. We have the gift of eternal life. We are welcomed into the King of kings and Lord of lords. We have access to the presence of our Father through what Jesus did on the cross. There is no greater gift than we can receive or no greater gift than we can give away tomorrow, Tuesday, and beyond. It's always Christmas. Give it away. Give that gift away. It's free. And look, you might be persecuted. You might be mocked. Your family might say, we've heard it before. So what? Their eternal life is on the line. Let them mock. Let them persecute. Let them ridicule. Let them kick you out of their house. All for Christ? Yes. Because you never know. There could be that one person in the corner. It's like, wow, what if that's true? And they come to faith in Christ. Amen? So if you're here today, we have much to celebrate, but if you, ha- if you haven't asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, then you are missing out on the greatest gift ever given to humankind that you can ever receive. I don't care if, if the, Donald Trump and, who is it, Gates and somebody else gave you all their fortune, it couldn't compare to the gift of eternal life. Amen? So if you're here today and Jesus is not your Lord and Savior, I implore you that you take hold of this gift and be born again of the Spirit and have the gift of eternal life. Because let me tell you, our Father didn't put the best gift under the tree. He hung it on the tree. Amen? So that we could have eternal life. So if you're here then, again this morning, let us really evaluate our lives. And you know what? I have it in here. What does the Lord desire is that we be living sacrifices for Him. And let me put it this way. There is nothing we can give back to God I mean, he owns everything, the cattle on a thousand hills. But for a parent, you know when your little, like three year old comes and they do a little drawing in preschool and they give it to you because they love you and we accept it as a parent like, oh, thank you. So we can't give anything of great value back to God, but he just desires our relationship with him, to love him, to obey his principles, to walk with him. So that after we step out of this time, we step into his presence with that same love same desire. He just desires that from us. Relationship. Be a living sacrifice for him. Amen? So if you're here today and you've given your life to Christ, we can truly celebrate. If you're here this morning and you haven't received that gift, receive it today. It's the best gift you can ever get. Amen? Amen? With that said, I'd like to run this beautiful song by Casting Crowns, and then we'll close in prayer. It's really a beautiful, beautiful song. If we can kill the lights called Christmas Offering. I listened to it and of course I cried. greatest gift is life and the Holy Spirit gave it the greatest gift new life, that we are born again in him, amen, and all he desires is that we be an offering back to him because someday the Lord Jesus will present it with a spotless bride, dressed in fine clothes and white linen and we will go there and it will be an offering, we will be an offering to our Savior and Lord and we will spend eternity with him so with that said have a blessed and Merry Christmas because listen we have received the greatest gift. Let's enjoy it and rejoice in it. Yes we'll have the moments of all the other stuff that goes around Christmas but enjoy your King. Can I give you a hint? Christmas morning maybe find a quiet place and thank Him and thank Him for the great salvation we have. Amen. Let's pray. Father we thank you this morning. We thank you that you gave us your only begotten, Emmanuel, God with us. And that Lord Jesus that before or into eternity passed, you took on the role and said, I will go and come into human time and place to be the one that would be the sacrifice for sins. And we thank you this morning for the great salvation that we have in your name. We celebrate your first coming because Lord, in that, it only points to the finished work that you will complete on Calvary's Hill so that we can be free and have eternal life in you. Lord, we thank you this morning. And Almighty God, as we go into this next couple of days of Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, let us remember the gift that was given to us. And Lord, let us purpose in our hearts, not only over the next couple of days, but every day, to give that gift away so that others can share in this jubilant joy, my God, of knowing you as Lord and Savior. Father God, we just thank you again. Lord, Holy Spirit, we thank you for the great salvation we have. We pray a special blessing A special blessing on your church during this time of year. Almighty God, I pray for each one in the sanctuary that, Lord, you would protect them in their travels, that you would bless their time of family and fellowship. And Lord God, again, those who are in the hospitals that we would take the time to visit with and spend that time with them. And Lord God, we just thank you. We thank you for every blessing. And we just give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise. And it's in Jesus' name, God's church said, amen.